everyone, and welcome to episode 187 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we got the full crew this week. Owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard, how you doing this week? Hey, Seth, what's going on? Uh, not much. Super hyped this week. We got a ton to talk about. New cards, Guilds of Ravnica stuff, but of course, before we get into that, we also have another co-host, Chris Van Meter. How's it going today, Chris? Good. I, I'm exhausted from PAX, but I'm ready to talk about Guilds of Ravnica. Uh, yes, and that is our primary topic for this week. We're going to be talking primarily Guilds of Ravnica with a PAX panel slash stream, unstream stream, I don't even know what it was, information about Guilds of Ravnica from a PAX panel. So we're going to be covering all that, then we're going to touch briefly on some magic coverage stuff over the weekend in a unique twist on magic coverage, and then of course, fish mail to close things out. So that's the plan for today, mostly Guilds of Ravnica, a couple of other quick things. But before we jump into it, a quick reminder that the show today is brought to you by SpikesAcademy.com. They are the world's first Magic the Gathering e-learning academy with courses from great pros like Paula Vitor-Damardarosa and Hall of Famers. Uh, so check them out over at SpikesAcademy.com. You can get 10% off with the cold goldfish. And if you want more info, Spikes underscore Academy over on Twitter. So thank you to them for their support. And with that out of the way... Let's talk Magic's newest set. Coming soon, October 5th, so about a month away, Guilds of Ravnica. So we have a ton of information about the set. We got some spoilers, some supplemental product twists. But before we get into the specifics, after seeing the card, seeing the stream, hype level up or down from where you were heading into it, Chris and Richard? The cards look really sweet. I really like the new mechanic, Surveil, which we'll talk about shortly. And uh, I guess we can just spoil it now. Shocklands are coming back. Everyone's hyped for Shocklands. All, all the players uh, playing standard looking get, looking to get into modern now have the opportunity to uh, load up on the Shocklands. And the cards look sweet. Uh, a lot of these cards, a lot of the new mechanics I really want to play with. And they look powerful enough that on the right card you can see them in modern legacy commander and things like that. So I'm actually very excited for the set. What about you, Chris? Where's your hype level at for Guilds of Ravnica? Oh, man, it's to the roof. Like, I love Ravnica. Like, thematically, the sets are always awesome. They're always very fun to play. Like, the whole guild identity thing really helps resonate with people. Like, it is awesome. I love seeing the cards. I like seeing some of the new reprints. But, like, on top of the set itself just being sweet, I'm really excited for a new standard. Like, this is going to be the first rotation that we've had in quite a while. It's going to be a big rotation. These cards and sets are going to be good for, like, 18 months. So I'm really looking forward to just figuring out, you know, how I, I, I can play with all of these new cards because they just look awesome. Like, they're shock lands, the mechanics are sweet, and this was just the first round of previews. I can't wait to see what else we get. Yeah, I, uh, my hype level is definitely increased too, and I already had really high hopes because I have enjoyed Ravnica both times in the past. I really like multicolor sets. I think they're fun. You usually get a lot of powerful cards because being multicolor is kind of like a drawback in and of itself, so wizards can push things a little bit more sometimes, or you get weird mashups of abilities that you wouldn't necessarily see on a monocolored card because it breaks the color pie, so I just love monocolored worlds, or multicolored worlds, and the cards we've seen so far, the small taste, are definitely pretty interesting, they look pretty powerful, the mechanics are powerful, so I guess we're all hyped for it, but let's talk about some of the actual cards we've got. So, Richard, why don't you uh, take it away and guide us through some of these new Guilds of Ravnica cards? All right. The, the, the question that everyone asked before anything started was, are there Shocklands? The answer is yes, and they have new art. I'm not going to read spoilers for Shocklands. I assume you know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> we have five Shocklands. All five are in the set. New art. What do you guys think? I, I'm a little surprised, to be honest. I was kind of hoping for something new or different but if you think about it it does make sense like we have the buddy lands again like like the the m13 rtr standard was really cool the mana was really cool as long as we don't get fetches or something that is able to to fetch these then we won't end up with a, a mana base similar to what con standard was where you just like 
just jam all of your cool cards into your deck and play, and who cares about the mana, because it's always fine. But I really like the Shockland, Buddyland mana base. I would like to see some sort of, like, colorless utility lands in this set or the next one, so that's what I'm hoping for. But, again, I'm a little, I'm a little surprised that they did the Shocks, but I, I think it's fine. I'm happy for Shocks returning. I feel like... It's one of those things, like, even if Wizards didn't really want to do Shocks, the expectation is that Shocks are associated with Ravnica, so I feel like there would have been a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth if they they put something else in that set instead of the Shocklands, so I think it's good for modern players. The lands had been creeping up. They were down to, like, $8 after Return to Ravnica, like, in that range around rotation, and they're all more than, like, double that now, 15 to up to, like, $20, so going back down from like 15 to 20 to 5 to 10 dollars that's a nice discount for modern players they shouldn't be super expensive either in standard uh the art is cool i really like some of the art the fall looking temple garden is a really sweet temple garden i think that's my favorite of the bunch on the other hand i do not see any steam or vent in the steam vent art i have no idea what is what is going on with the steam vents. so in general i'm happy the art looks good except for steam vents i, I don't like the steam vents what steam vent looks so is it though you see it's like the steam looks, is inside the whatever that thing is <laughs> it doesn't look like a land to me i think that's the problem it looks like some machine or something i don't see land there when all the other ones the overgrown tomb looks very traditional and like some of the older ones watery grave and sacred boundary <coughs> excuse me watery grave and sacred foundry too but i don't know i don't see land in the steam vent art at all yeah, it it could have been a random artifact from the looks of it, but I I think wizards had to have printed the shocklands and turned Ravnica. They they had that whole spiel about living up to player expectations, and while it would have been cool if they made some kind of new um, guild based lands, like I I don't know what they could have done, but I'm sure they could have invented a new land. Players would have thrown a fit if it wasn't just as good as the Shocklands. So they're like, whatever, we'll put the Shocklands in and just meet player expectations. So a little, not not too surprising there. Uh, so first up, we have our face Planeswalker of the set. Uh, from Is It, we have Ral Is It Viceroy. Three blue and a red, five mana, five loyalty Planeswalker. Plus one, look at the top two cards of your library, put one of them into your hand, and the other into your graveyard. Minus three, Ral does damage to target creature equal to the number of instant and sorcery cards uh, you own in exile and in your graveyard. Minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, this emblem deals four damage to any target and you draw two cards. I gotta I gotta complain a little bit about Ral. Like, I think the card is fine, <laughs> but this is, to me, this is the is it Obnixilis. It is just so formulaic, and Wizards, like, we've seen so many Planeswalkers that are plus one, draw a card with some sort of twist, negative three, kill something with a twist, negative eight, slowly win you the game eventually, five mana, five loyalty. It is, like, exactly Obnixilis or Teferi or any other, like... I don't know. It's just so formulaic. So I think it's a fine card, and it does have a bit of a spell slinger twist, I guess, because it does care about instants and sorceries. But it feels like I've seen this exact same Planeswalker in different colors about a million times at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's they have a template. They're gonna they use the template. It is effective. Like there there has to be ways that they can shake it up, but. I mean, when you when you need something that's going to be effective, and when you need something that's going to be a hit, then you just print something like this. Like this card's gonna see play. It's good, like, but it's not super cool or fun. It's just a five mana planeswalker that go plus one card advantage, minus three protects itself, and then an ultimate that will win you the game slowly. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice safe card, and yeah, I know. We get on Wizards for making Omnixilis type cards, but then they make like Jaya Ballard and we complain anyway. Like, yeah, when you make <laughs> weird cards, sometimes they suck and sometimes they're good. So when you go with this Omnixilis template, you're you're almost always guaranteed to have standard play, right? So mm -hmm. I, I think I think it's fine, right? We can't expect all of their planeswalkers to be crazy, right? But if in the entire set there's no unique planeswalker, I'd be sad. For every Teferi, you should have a Jaya Ballard. 
and the opposite. For every Jaya Ballard, you should have a Teferi. Uh, the problem comes when you have all Jire Ballards and Tybalt's and stuff in your set, or you have all Karns and Teferi's and things like that. So as as a Planeswalker, it's not, you know, too weird, and it, it has some unique things, right? It has kind of, you know, it, it, it pays... Um, <laughs> What's the word I'm looking for? Surveil. It's kind of like surveil in that it dumps cards into your graveyard and then it synergizes with its minus, which uh, gets, you know, it counts cards in exile and things like that. So if you use a flashback card or something, you're not punished. Or if you, I don't know, pass in flames. Yeah, jumpstart. Yeah, yeah, like, like, like the is it mechanic is jumpstart. So like if you put a card in your hand and then a jumpstart card in your graveyard, it's like basically drawing two cards. Um, but like... Yeah, that's cool. I, I mean, I think it's a but, good card. Oh yeah, I, it's not a bad. I think also it might be partly that the original Rouse Eric was actually pretty unique as far as Planeswalkers go, with like the coin flipping extra turn ultimate and this like tapping and untapping plus one. So I think after seeing the original Rail be one of the more kind of unique Planeswalkers, seeing like very cookie cutter Rail <laughs> is a little bit jarring to me because I don't see any reference to the old version of Rouse Eric at all. Like there's not I. I guess negative to kill something is sort of the same, but I don't know. I think it's good. I think it'll see play. One concern I have is in a world of Shocklands and Checklands where it'll be very easy to play three colors, I'm a little worried that Rao will just get overshadowed by Teferi. Like, if you're playing blue-red, do you just play, like, some white mana two and play Teferi, which is kind of, most likely, better Rao's Eric? So, it'll be interesting, but... Yeah, I mean, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Hipster Ral grew up. He's like, I don't need a coin flip anymore. I'll just <laughs> straight up draw cards and dome you. <laughs> All right, mechanics. Um, we'll start with the most uh, boring of the new mechanics, the known mechanic. Uh, I actually really like this mechanic, though. Convoke is back. Uh, the Selesnya mechanic this time around. Uh, Conclave Tribunal. Uh, three and a white enchantment. Convoke, uh, which means you can tap your creatures to help pay the mana cost. Each creature you tap adds uh, one mana of that color. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, exile, target, non-land permanent, and opponent controls until Conclave Tribunal leaves the battlefield. This has got to be the best O-ring we've had in a while. Like, I think that... I mean, obviously it depends a little bit on your deck. If you're playing hardcore control with no creatures, then something like cast out's better. But in a lot of decks, I think this is just like... Uh, comparable to cast out and maybe even better than cast out if you can just cast this for like one or two mana or cast a couple of creatures so you're uh, expanding your board state and then just tap those essentially with haste to reduce the mana cost in decks like that where you're playing like aggro or kind of mid-rangey this seems like a really powerful removal spell yeah i mean it's i i think that like trying to compare it to cast out or the other variants of this type uh like it's not going to be very effective. Like, Ixalance Binding, Cast Out, Oblivion Ring, like, they're all... They have the same effect, but they're all, like, wildly different cards. Um, and I think it goes the same for Conclave Tribunal. I think this one's just going to end up being very, very good, especially since there will be cards uh, from Celestia in this set that care about, you know, things happening when they become tapped. But also just, like, if there is anything that allows you to generate tokens like you will have some very very swingy turns with this card and i think that's good for creature based decks for creature based decks excuse me yep the power of convoke with selesnia is uh you typically have tokens so that helps power out your convoke so a lot (laughs) of times this will be pretty cheap (laughs) maybe a one mana (laughs) o-ring do you think that uh selesnia will just be completely unplayable because of goblin rabble master (laughs) is that gonna be just like the worst Uh, chain roller or Chain Whirler, yes. I'm, sorry. I, I'm uh, looking at Legion War Boss and thinking Ravnica. I mean, I, in Return to Ravnica, weren't they mostly 2 2 tokens? I don't remember anymore. It's been a while. But they, if they're just 2 2 tokens, you're good to go. If you're X ones, yeah, you're, you're not going to have a good time. <laughs> uh, next card Quasi Duplicate. One blue, blue sorcery. Create a token that's a copy of target creature you control. Jumpstart, new mechanic. You may cast this card from your graveyard by discarding a card in addition to paying its other costs, then exile this card. Yeah, it's it's similar to Flashback, which is one of my 
favorite mechanics. I think it's one of the best mechanics uh, of all time. Uh, has the a potential added benefit of discarding guards. So if you have something that has um, Jumpstart or something that you want in the graveyard, or even in older formats, potentially uh, cards with madness, uh, seems that could be pretty cool. This card seems very similar to Cackling Counterpart to me, which is one of my favorite uh, Innistrad limited and cube type cards. Um, but that mainly is on the back of the fact that it was an instant. So this being a sorcery uh, makes me not super happy about it, but there are some pretty busted hexproof creatures in standard that you can copy with this. Yeah, I think this is one of those cases where I really like the mechanic, and I really like flashback too. I feel like people were uh, selling this as like bad flashback, but I think they're really underestimating that uh, people tend to underestimate that you like having cards in your graveyard a lot of the time, and it seems like Ravnica is going to be very graveyard-based, so I think the discarding card can often be an upside, but this is a card that I don't think is especially good. From what I remember, uh, Cackling Counterpart didn't really do much in standard, and this is way riskier because uh, as a sorcery, uh, if you play a clone, you even if you get your best creature killed, at least you still get to clone something. If you cast this and your opponent kills what you're targeting, you kind of just like got two for one and time walked yourself and probably lost the game. So maybe with like Carnage Tyrants and Vine Mares, maybe there's some janky like clone my hexproof thing, but in general, I wouldn't expect this to be really played in standard. Yeah, I don't like cards that clone your own things. Like, half of the power of just a generic clone is if your opponent plays some crazy threat, you can clone it. Uh, in this case, you have to clone your own crazy threat, but then you already have one, so it's kind of just Widmore if you can play this. So I don't like quasi-duplicate. Uh, and like Seth said, Cackling Counterpart saw, like, no play in standard, and that was at instant speed. Uh, I really do like Jumpstart, though, and I think it's probably better than Flashback. Um... If you think of it as your discard, the card you discard becomes a dark ritual, then it's basically flashback. So you can do some absurd things like you can quasi-duplicate and then the next turn quasi-duplicate again, discarding a land or maybe uh, another jumpstart card or anything you want in the graveyard. Whereas with flashback, typically this would probably cost five, six to flashback. You have to wait a while. So discarding your card it becomes like a Simeon Spirit Guide, maybe a Dark Ritual, something like that, and you get to uh, cash in. And in Limited, this is going to be absurd. Uh, you now have a Mana Sink for all your extra lands, which is you basically discard them to jumpstart. So I, I expect we'll see a lot of jumpstart. And depending on the cards, we might actually see them in older formats, I think, if we actually get some competitively, uh, competitively cost cards with jumpstart. I mean, if you stick to the Cackling Counterpart comparison, the flashback was seven. So you can yeah. kind of see the upside of Jumpstart where you, you can cast it for its mana cost from the graveyard. So you're casting it from three from the graveyard. So this is one of those effects where we're probably going to talk about Surveil shortly. But if you can just mill it into your graveyard, you're getting a really good cost. When with flashback cards, you often have to pay a lot for the flashback. So I think the fact that you're getting it for its mana cost out of the graveyard allows for some sweet shenanigans where you're not necessarily casting it the first time, but getting it in your graveyard in other ways. Right. <clears throat> so next up, we have Mentor. Uh, on Legion War Boss, so two in a red, it's a 2-2 Goblin Soldier. Uh, it has Mentor, which is whenever this creature attacks, put a plus one, plus one counter on target attacking creature with lesser power at the beginning of your combat on each turn. Oh, this is actually, this is not Mentor anymore, this is Legion War Boss text. At the <laughs> beginning of combat on your turn, create a plus one, plus one red Goblin creature token. That token gains haste until end of turn and attacks this combat if able. This is this is the opposite of quasi duplicate. I I'm kind of meh about the mechanic mentor, maybe partly because I don't really play Boros attacky style decks, but I think the Legion Warboss is one of the best cards that was previewed at PAX. It's very reminiscent of Goblin Rivalmaster, and I think the card itself is pretty strong, but the mechanics kind of meh to me. Can can you guys tell that Tom Ross is working in Magic Bindy? <laughs> <laughs> this card is absurd it is far and away the best card that was previewed um i i can't believe that people are sleeping on it like i even made a, a post on twitter over the weekend saying 
that I don't understand why people aren't hype about this potentially better than Goblin Rabble Master. And people are like, better? No way. Rabble Master <laughs> kicks this card. This card sucks. But like making it so that you don't have to attack um, with multiples, if you play multiples, is insane. Uh, this, like you're doing slightly lower damage over the first few turns with it, but making your 1-1s into 2-2s in a world of uh, Goblin Chain Whirler is insane. Like, if you have this card against Chain Whirler, at most they're going to be able to kill one token. And that's it. And then you just remo use a removal spell on Chain Whirler, and you're back at it. It only has one red mana in its, in its mana cost. We have Llanowar Elves in this format. I really feel like I have to come out of retirement and play some more standard magic when this card is legal. Uh, it's, it, it does everything, and I expect it to, to be as good and as popular as Goblin Rabble Master, and probably in the $10 plus range. Yeah, uh, it's really good, because every turn... Uh, if you're able to attack every turn, you're getting a 2-2 attacker. And here's the problem, though. That Chain Roller doesn't kill the Goblin tokens, but Chain Roller stops the attacks, right? So if you're facing down a Chain Roller, you're like, okay, yeah, you didn't kill my tokens because I pumped them, but I cannot attack with this thing anymore. However, the flip side is you yourself can play Chain Roller. So maybe we're seeing the rise of Mono Red Goblins because you have Legion War Boss, you have Goblin Chain Roller, uh, the deck loses a, a most of it, most of it with the rotation. So seeing strong mono red cards means you have a stronger chance of having chain roller around post rotation. So it we'll we'll see how it goes. But I think this card in a vacuum is very strong. If you can actually get attacks off with this, it'd be very good. So so that's that's a trap, right? Like this isn't a mono red card. Like, it only has one red in its cost, and Chain Whirler is a roadblock for it. So, like, if you play this in mono red, you have a few ways to, like, actually get through a Chain Whirler or, or whatever. But, like, I think that this card is going to be, see a lot of play in not mono red decks, right? Like, this is the perfect type of sideboard card in your Jeskai control deck when you're playing against the mirror. This is the perfect type of card in your green X aggro deck that you want to in, ramp into because it forces the opponent to have an answer or lose the game in three turns. Like, yes, it's a goblin. Yes, we have Chain Whirler, War Chief, and Trash Master, so there is some goblin synergy. But I think the goblin deck is going to be a trap, and this is just a good card because it's a good card like it like it, it could have been you know an illusion soldier like i don't think that the go the goblin part is actually going to end up being very relevant for this card very good point from what i remember of rabble master it was played in aggro decks like straight up red aggro decks it was played in a lot of mid-range decks it was it was played yeah literally it was one of the best cards uh, across the whole spectrum of archetypes outside of i don't remember too much control play but maybe i'm not thinking of that at the moment but it was played in all styles of decks from mono red to mid-range to multicolor things and it was really good in all of them so i agree that this card I'm definitely scared of this card more than any other card that was previewed over the weekend. Yeah, there, there, there aren't a lot of cards like this that currently exist in Standard that force you to interact early or you just, like, flat-out lose the game. Like, similar cards would be something like Chandra, Torch of Defiance, or Karn, um, or Teferi. Like, but these are all, like, four- and five-mana Planeswalkers that there are, you know, ways to interact with creature combat. This... You just play this, and your opponent has to interact with you, or they would just lose to the stream of goblins. Yeah, turn turn one, Lawn War Elves. Turn two, Legion War Boss. I I hope you have that removal, or the game is over. <laughs> uh, next up, we have a surveil on Sinister Sabotage. One blue, blue instant counter target spell. Surveil one. Look at the top card of your library. You may put that card into your graveyard. This has got to be the best mechanic of the bunch. I think as far as, like, tournament-level play, it's just, like, better scry. And in specific, with our current standard, with, like, Search for Iskanta already being one of the best cards, I think Sinister Sabotage is probably better disallow. Like, I think you're actually trading up your counter spell at rotation, and it's a mechanic that can be good in older formats. We see decks in modern that are just based around filling their graveyard as quickly as possible. I don't think Sinister or Sabotage in specific would show up in those decks, but I could definitely see like a cantrip, like an op that had Surveil 1 or something, that could be very powerful in older formats too. So I think this is just the most pushed for constructed mechanic out of all the ones we've seen so far.
so I, I think that Jumpstart is is better than Surveil, but they weirdly work well together. Um, my my only complaint about Surveil is uh, that. In standard, now that Scry is evergreen, we're going to have Explore, Scry, and Surveil, which are like just basically all copies of the same type of mechanic. So it feels that feels kind of weird to me, but I do like them trying things that are different. I do think that Surveil is just flat better than Scry, especially in the set when we have Jumpstart. Like you can, like I, I don't want to draw this, so I can just put it in my graveyard. It affects my search for Escanta, but I can also just cast it later if I need to. So I'm excited to see like what other type of cards have Surveil on them. Um, but this is very similar to Dissolve, which saw a ton of play uh, during the the Theros standard, and I expect this to just be a four of in the control decks in the new standard. Yep. Magic is still teaching me new words in 2018. Uh, <laughs> I was like, is this a real word? I had to Google it. <laughs> I really like the mechanic. H have we seen a card with Surveil more than one? Can you rearrange the cards on top of your library? Or is it is it just look at the top X and then uh, put any number in your graveyard? You have to be able to rearrange, right? Because otherwise your opponent won't know the, the right order. Yeah, so we haven't seen more than Surveil 1, but I do imagine if we see... Surveil 2, it'll just say look at the top two cards of your library, and then you may, you may put them back on top in any order or in your graveyard. It'll probably just have different text than Surveil 1. And yeah. I assume there has to be more than Surveil 1, because why would you write 1 if Surveil <laughs> was just always look at one card? Like, why would you put the number on there? So Yeah, yeah, I really like It's just straight up better than Scry. Uh, I think part of, the pa part of what keeps Scry in check is you put cards to the bottom of your library, and uh, one of the most powerful things you can do in Magic is put cards into your graveyard, which is why things like, I don't know, Seder Wayfinder are so good when they're just basically a two-mana one-one. Just dumping cards into your graveyard has many, many advantages. Uh, we have entire decks built around that. We have decks that use that for value, and this just helps with that. So it's a very strong mechanic, and uh, I'm sure we'll see Surveil cards in Standard, if not older formats. Seder Wayfinder better come back in Guilds of Ravnica. That's like one of my all-time favorite cards, and it fits so perfectly with but it's multiple mechanics of the set. It's a Seder, Seth. There are no Seders. Oh, maybe it's like visiting. It's on vacation <laughs> in, in Ravnica. <laughs> All right, last mechanic, last new mechanic. We have Undergrowth. It's on Necrotic Wound, one black mana, or a single black, so one CMC, instant, uh, undergrowth target creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn where X is the number of creature cards in your graveyard If that creature would die this turn exile it instead I want to like undergrowth, but I've been burnt too many times trying to build decks around like splinter fright and boneyard worm Which essentially are unkeyworded undergrowth and I've never been able to make them work so until I see the support cards that make me feel comfortable in Undergrowth actually being able to work, I'm a little skeptical, just based on my experiences with these cards in the past. Although Necrotic Wound, you gotta think of it as a late-game removal spell, but it can be a pretty powerful late-game removal spell. It's not gonna replace Fatal Push on turn one, but on turn, like, six or seven, you can hopefully kill just about anything, especially if you're somewhat built around your graveyard. And exiling it might be relevant. It would have been very relevant in our current standard with, like, Scarab God and Hazard, so maybe we'll see some threats that really need to be exiled in uh, our future standard, too. Well, so, uh, there's already Rekindling Phoenix... Um, which is good. Plus, like, the Golgari Mythic that can make itself indestructible that was spoiled. Like, this is another card that you're going to want to use to be able to kill that. But how good this card is going to be will end up just being how much self-mill that there is. Like, how how aggressive is it? Like, because the, the Golgari mechanic is undergrowth, like, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Seder Wayfinder is in the set. Um... You know, we could, we could also see, like, Grizzly Salvage being reprinted or th things of that nature. So I think that with uh, Jumpstart and Undergrowth being two of the mechanics, Surveil being one of the mechanics, I think that, you're right, Graveyard Matters is going to be a big thing. And I'm hoping that there's a lot of cards that can facilitate that. Yeah, uh, I don't like the conditional aspect of it. It's, it's going to be hard to mill yourself enough. And if you have Necrotic Wounds in your deck, it... 
lowers your creature density. However, if you can turn it on, it becomes one of the best removal spells. Uh, minus X minus X means it gets around indestructible creatures, and then it has the exile clause for killing, so you can remove recursive threats. So if you can turn this on, it becomes... Uh, and it's one mana, so it's super efficient and one of the best removal spells you could cast. However, turning it on, I think, is going to be a problem. And then if you have incidental graveyard hate, uh, things like... You know, I don't think they're going to print a rest in peace or anything, but if you have um, the green scavenging thing, which I can't remember. <laughs> not well, I, I, I want scavenging news to be No, no, not, so not actual scavenging news. That would be crazy. <laughs> the oh, Death, Death Lord Lord scavenger. scavenger. Yeah, Death Lord yeah. scavenger. If you have things like that that are played, you're going to be very sad with your undergrowth cards. <sighs> I'm kind of oh, hoping Death we Red get Shaman. like a, a ley line of the void or something. There's a lot of graveyard mechanics and i'm actually a little nervous that wizards is gonna undershoot on the graveyard hate yeah all right um let's talk about a legendary elf we have amara soul of the accord green and a white 2-2 legendary creature elf cleric when amara soul of the accord becomes tapped create a 1-1 white soldier token with lifelink yeah seems like this, this works pretty well with invoke <laughs> This is my second favorite card from the set. So it's aggressive. It's a two-drop two-two that creates value when it attacks, uh, similar to Precinct Captain. That's what it reminds me of. That was uh, another very good card in its day. Uh, it has synergy with the Convoke mechanic. That's the set mechanic for Celestia. So you know, if we see any creatures that have Convoke, or um, you know, just being able to generate more threats while casting like Conclave Tribunal, that's really cool for me. Um, I, I, I love that this card is just a two-mana legend, uh, and we're going to have a big rotation, and I'm excited to... Like, the first Brawl deck that I want to build now for the new standard format will be with Amara as, as the commander. But I also think that uh, more aggressive two-drops like this will end up making uh, a Johnny adversary of Tyrants become become better and that's like one of my sleeper picks for the new standard i think that card has the potential to be very very good and it's going to have a deck that has like amara and um the other two mana green white legend from uh, uh too. Sha shauna something like shauna. that yeah i'm yeah so i'm actually kind of excited for like a green white legendary mid-range deck you have like shauna you have amara you mentioned ajani you have like shalai and lyra potentially on the top end and then you could maybe sideboard or even main deck something like urza's ruinous blast which is a really powerful sweeper if the metagame is in the right place so i think that that deck has a lot of really powerful cards and looks like it might have a decent chance to be a real deck after rotation yeah uh so i guess the the dies to doom blade argument for the standard is dies to chain whirler so the question <laughs> is are there enough pump effects like maybe a johnny or maybe like a two or three mana anthem effect that you could save your team before chain roller wrecks it uh so i i think chain roller is is going to be part of the equation here and maybe chain roller is not even played and Chain Roller becomes kind of a pocket counter to this, which is okay, but if Chain Roller is running all over the place, I don't feel too good with this unless you have Anthem effects. Yeah, I actually think that uh, what we're going to end up seeing is Mono Red just isn't good enough uh, for Chain Roller to see play. Like the only, the only exception to that could potentially be like the Mono Red Wizard deck, and then you just play Chain Whirler because you can. But like, I don't think that Chain Whirler is going to be like the reason to be these heavy red decks like they were in this last format, because the support for it just isn't there. Like losing Chandra, losing um, a lot of the the red creatures that you played, losing Glorybringer. I think that it's just going to be too too much of a detriment. So uh, yeah, I, I I may be proven wrong, but I don't think the Chain Whirler will be as ubiquitous as it was. That's that's probably true. Although at the same time, I think the mana base would more easily support like two color chain whirler decks if you really wanted to with check lands and shock lands you probably could play chain whirler and not be mono red and that might be where you have to go because uh, the power of ravnica is the multicolor card so it seems unlikely that we're going to get really pushed mono color cards to any great extent so maybe but maybe there'll be a two color chain whirler deck like a boros deck that can take advantage of chain whirler yeah i can see that yep all right, let's round things out with two mythics. We have Underrealm Lich, 
three black and a green, so five CMC. It's a four three zombie elf shaman. If you would draw a card, instead look at the top three cards of your library, then put one into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. Pay four life, Underrealm Lich gains indestructible until end of turn. Tap it. I like how they're essentially trying to make indestructible into actual regeneration now, where you have to tap, <laughs> you have to tap the creature. Like just print regeneration wizards. <laughs> That's how uh, you get around it. Otherwise, they just make it indestructible. You're like uh, I can't attack into it. <laughs> uh, I I really like this card. I love graveyard synergy cards. We've seen similar cards. There was a oh man a. I think it was a Bant or a Simic card from Shards of Alara that had a similar ability and was five mana, but it put the cards on the bottom of your library. But putting them into your graveyard is definitely a big upgrade, as is some form of protection. So this card makes me really excited to play like Modraltha-style decks in standard. I don't know. I like this card. I don't know if it'll be good enough. Three toughness does mean lightning strike gets it and so forth. Yes, you can regenerate, but it's still kind of painful. So we'll see if it's good enough for standard, but I really like it. So we have zombie synergy with a new lily on it and some of the cards in M19. And this is randomly a zombie elf shaman. So we have some, some synergy there. Um, I think that this is like one of those cool weird cards um, that people will try to play and when things work it feels really good but most of the time it's just a, a bad creature so like if if uh, necrotic wound ends up being a you know a big player in standard it's probably because this card is in the deck to help fuel that graveyard but even then it just seems really slow and then like you play this and your opponent just plays Teferi and tucks it and then you feel real bad <laughs> I really like this for Commander. It's it's like oh, a absolutely. five mana do nothing, but like if you untap with this thing and start drawing cards, like the only thing better than drawing cards is uh, drawing cards with selection. So like anticipating and then milling everything into your graveyard for more shenanigans. So I think it will really shine in Commander. Uh, standard, it's a little questionable because it's a five mana four three do nothing. So even if you untap, you need to gain incremental advantage then. Uh, and I don't know if that's good enough for standard. Someone so, mentioned with Sylvan Scrying, you get to see nine cards for free if you have this out in Commander. That yep. seems uh, that seems good. Yeah, and you can pay four life is not that big of a cost when you start at forty, <laughs> right? So you can keep this thing around for a while. Uh, yeah. Last card, we have a big boy, Impervious Great Worm, seven green, green, green. So ten CMC. It's a worm. It's a 16-16. Convoke Indestructible. Also, this is uh, the Buy Box promo. The Buy Box. Yep. So, uh, this is more where I would like to see the Buy Box promos be. I think that being so big makes it flashy, and I can see like casual players, new players, seeing this and being like, oh my god, I gotta have that, I'm gonna buy a box. But... It dies to a lot of the heavily played removal, seal away, Veraska's contempt. So I can't imagine that it's gonna like be better than Galta, probably in standard. So I feel like that's this is about where I'm comfortable. If we gotta keep having exclusive promos, I think this is a decent power level for exclusive buy box promos. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just unplayable. <laughs> You guys Sorry. are no fun. It's a 16-16 indestructible. Yeah, it gets chump blocked, but yeah. what if there's a Rancor? <laughs> now, if they print Rancor and ban Veraska's Contempt, then uh, maybe I'll come around on the Great Worm. So, like, they're putting Galta in, like, every single supplemental product under the sun that has green in it. So, like, I would just say play Galta over this card. Like, if you have creatures to tap to convoke this, then you're actually getting more mana from those creatures for Galta. So, like, I, this card is just way worse than Galta in, like, every single way. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's disappointing or a genius move to make this as a buy box promo because I think this is the kind of card that gets people excited to play Magic. Like, when you first yes. start playing Magic, you're like, oh my god, 16-16, I just need to, like, hit you once and you're dead, right? And you shock twice and you're dead or something like that. And having it be a buy a box promo means it's less accessible, but it also makes new players go and buy boxes. So it's either the a very smart move or a very cruel move. I don't know which one it is, but 
it, I think it is for new players, and I think new players look at this card and they get very excited. And you know, I I think this card is just for new players. And uh, unfortunately, if we don't have the right support cards, you're gonna find out that it's actually a pretty bad card. But it's still pretty fun. I mean, if you just one hit one hit killing someone is always the dream in most games. So if you actually manage to smash with this, if they ever make like let's say Rogue's Passage, or they give you Rancor, or something like that, or, you know, Infect. Uh, this would be a pretty fun card for new players. Uh, so I think that brings us to the end of the individual cards we wanted to talk about, but there is another piece of Guilds of Ravnica news we should probably hit on, and that is uh, Masterpieces are back, sort of, kind of. Uh, I want to hear your take on this new Masterpiece thing. So this is the Mythic Edition, Guilds of Ravnica Mythic Edition, basically for $250, only through the Hasbro Toy Shop, you get... I've heard 16 boosters and 24 boosters. Uh, you get 16 normal boosters and yep. then eight masterpiece boosters, which are guaranteed to include one of these sweet, like, extended art, full art kind of Planeswalkers, Elspeth, Liliana the Last Hope, Doretti, Ingenious Iconoclast, Nicole Bull's Planeswalker, Ralph, is it Viceroy, Teferi, here Dominaria, Tezra, Agent of Bolas. But the only way you can get them, buying for $250 through Hasbro Troy Shop, this Mythic Edition, which kind of makes it a cross between buying like a booster box and buying the SDCC Planeswalker promos. So what is your take on this? This is something brand new. Give me your thoughts on Mythic Edition. So the actual cards themselves, eh? I, mean, I guess that's what happens when you complain about Amonkhet invocations. <laughs> They're like too unique. These are basically border extensions. Their only saving grace is it's all new art. So you can't actually just buy some existing, say, Elspeth Knight errant and do border extensions. But it, it's basically a border extension uh, looking full art planeswalker. Now, I do... I do like that Wizards is making premium products that are optional. So these are all reprints. You don't have to buy them. You, If you want Elspeth, you can buy plain old Elspeth. Uh, so this is for... This is for people who want to fork over money to make their cards look good. What I don't like is why it's just bundled with 24 boosters randomly. I would much rather have it be like the SDCC promo set where you're like, okay, I'll pay $120 or whatever get my promos and be done with, but now you're forced to basically buy 24 boosters along with your full set of Planeswalkers. So I don't like that aspect. And also, why Hasbro Toy Shop? Like, Hasbro's decided they want to make all the money now? Like, why isn't this a product available through your local game store, like, from the vault or something like that? So a little suspicious. My guess is they saw the success of SDCC and they're like, huh, we should just do this all the time outside of Comic-Con and then you have this product. Uh, so they're getting money directly, cutting out the local game stores, cutting out the secondary market. Um, but, you know, it's at the expense of players who want to make their decks look cool. So it's not a forced expense on existing players. It's also at the, at the expense of international players. Like, you can only get this if you're in the U.S. Oh, that's, that's a good point. So, like, they're going to have to rely on the secondary market. Cards are going to be expensive. Hasbro Toy Shop like cannot handle the stress of an exclusive product. Like it, the website just basically explodes every single time the SDCC walkers go on sale on there. So like I, 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 I I'm just baffled. Like this, the full art planeswalkers are so freaking cool. Like, why not just make these the masterpieces? You could have only have eight of them, make them even more rare than the other masterpieces were. It would, it'll help booster box sales, and it'll get these cool cards out uh, into the market. Like, I, I just don't get it. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. It, it feels greedy and short-sighted. I think I'm pretty much where Chris is. I actually really like how they look. It, it looks like altered cards, like if someone does a border extension alter, but with cool new art. So I really like the cards. I just do not understand. I mean, I guess I understand it. Uh, Wizards feels like they can put more money in their pockets, but I do not like the distribution model. I feel like it would have been better as actual masterpieces. Uh, it would have been better as, if you're not going to put them in normal boosters, at least give it to the local game stores. And I kind of feel 
feel like Wizards is like talking out of both sides of their mouth where they're like, oh, we need these exclusive promos, buy a box promos to help local game stores. And then they essentially just like turn this product like I don't know if this would be the replacement for from the vaults or what you would consider it but completely pull it from the local game stores also I've never had a good experience with Hasbro Toy Shop Uh, it is just it is always a mess even if you end up getting your order through you're never really sure because sometimes they cancel it later and I don't know I think it's going to be I like the idea of these cards and I 100% don't mind them printing collector edition type cards, especially when these are reprints and you can get a cheap version if you want them to play with. But I just really don't like the way they are distributing this product. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. I don't think Hasbro toy shop traffic will be as big of a deal because with SDCC, you're not just competing with other magic players. You're competing with all the My Little Pony people and the Transformers people and whatever, they're all jamming onto the site, so maybe it'll be better. But Chris brings up a really good point about international. Um, You know, Wizards has always been kind of criticized for being US-centric, and this is the most US-centric thing, right? Like, if you're from Europe, do you really need to pay, like, a million dollars in shipping to buy this? Like, do, is there no local distributor? Maybe they're, you know, maybe they'll make a EU Hasbro toy shop, but that doesn't seem to make any sense. So if you're in Japan, how do you buy this? Is everyone going to be forced to pay absurd shipping across the world because Wizards didn't think it through? Which is what I don't like about that. Now, I will say that the only saving grace for this is the new Elspeth art. She's got black hair, looks cool, has the golden underworld mask, gives me hope that she's not dead, is going to fight her way out of the grass of Erebos, <laughs> and come back and be an awesome planeswalker yet again. Gives you hope. Because I mean, this I, pretty much I, nails I am, it. <laughs> I am ready for Elspeth to make her return. Yeah. Also, there's, there's one more unknown. There's actually eight altogether, which I would put money on being the new Veraska, which has not been revealed yet. That would be my guess, but... Mm, what if it's Jace the Mind Sculptor, Seth? What <laughs> if that, on October 2nd, maybe. they're like, okay, tomorrow it's going on sale. Last card, Jace the Mind Sculptor. Have fun. <laughs> uh, then the website would definitely crash. <laughs> uh, all right, we're running long. Uh, let's quickly, before jumping into fish mail, move away from Guilds of Ravnica and uh, just quick thoughts on coverage from this weekend. Specifically, we talked about it last week, them following Reduke through the entire Legacy GP. Instead of doing normal where you're jumping from player to player round to round, uh, did either of you get to catch GP Reduke, and what did you think of the new take on coverage? Uh, I did, and it was awesome. Like, being able to watch Reed play, like, I'll do that anytime I get, because he's, he's amazing. But I also really liked uh, all of the different coverage features they had, where they, like, had audio of him talking through, like, his sideboarding against different decks, or, like, what are the important parts of the games against certain decks and important cards. Um, I think it was great. Like, Reed was the perfect person to do it. I think it was really cool that he was doing so well and even in top eight contention, like, really deep into the tournament. Um, and I hope that they continue to experiment with things like this. Like, I, I feel like it accomplishes two things. A, well, yeah, so the first one is that it, like, it makes coverage new and exciting. They're trying new things. It's getting people interested. And two, it also helps them, like, develop these stars like one of the things that the scg tour does way better than wizards is it puts the focus it puts a lot of the focus during coverage on the actual players um wizards has a different agenda where they need the focus to be on the cards because they're in the card selling business but like you can still do both which is just a huge benefit to magic in general so being able to do things like that is awesome like i could imagine having the same thing like Owen in a standard Grand Prix or, you know, Brad Nelson in a standard Grand Prix or, like, Jerry Thompson in a modern Grand Prix. Like, those types of personalities uh, that can play well, they're exciting to watch, and can also articulate themselves in the different uh, coverage bits for it makes it really exciting, and I hope they continue to try more things. Yeah, so I didn't get to watch this, but I, I did read the comments, and it seems like there were a lot of innovations outside of just showing Reduke. Like, they had the hand cams, they had players mic'd up during 
the match. So even if they move away from the one person story, I would like to see these innovations carried on in normal coverage. Because being able to see the hands and seeing what the players say and things like that, I think really brings a new level of immersion. And it's basically the same as standing at their table and watching them now, right? You have all the information and you can follow along and you can hear what the players are saying. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. When I heard they were doing this, I expected it to just to be cool because we were following Reduke, but they actually kind of went all out with the hand cams and the segments between rounds and Reed breaking down matchups and having the audio so you could hear the players interacting. So I feel like the fact, I got to give Wizards credit or Channel Fireball for going all out like that, and it ended up being a really unique and really cool experience. So I would be down with probably not every GP being like this, but I would love to do this again in the future, and I would definitely love to see, like Richard said, some of the innovations with a hand cam and stuff like that, if possible, become a normal part of coverage, because I think it added a ton. I never knew how much just, like, hearing the players interact and talk would add to the environment and the coverage, and it was really, really cool. So, well, well done with the coverage. All right, let's move on, wrap things up with some uh, quick fish mail. So, Richard, take it away. All right, if you have questions, send them to at mtggoldfish with the hashtag mtgfishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. Viper Johnny B asks, should I sell my lantern control list? Doesn't seem very good right now, and all this talk of an ancient stirring slash mox opal banning has me fearful. Uh, sure. I mean... It is not very good right now. It could be good again in the future. I think the biggest concern would be Mox Opal, which could get banned, will definitely get reprinted, and that's a huge chunk of money right now. So I would at least look to maybe, if you're not playing it, get out of Mox Opals, because something's going to happen to make that card cheaper. Yeah, I I agree. It's it's either going to get reprinted or banned. Like, that are the only two options, really, at this point. So... If you know you have another deck you can play that doesn't utilize opal, uh, dump it. If you need the opals to play, well, that's fine. Like that that that's the type of card that at some point like there will be a legacy deck that just like plays four mox opal and it will retain its value. Um, but if again, it's it's only going to get either banned or reprinted. So use that as your guide. All right, Gurasano one. What do you think about a new? "Quote unquote eternal format without fetch lands. I also hate shuffling. It can start at Origins and include every subsequent expansion. They could even work their way back and have it on Arena. People are all gung ho. I think that is called Frontier, right? Isn't that ex- pretty much no, what Frontier, Frontier was? So Frontier had fetch lands. Uh... So people want Frontier without the fetches. I think the reality is we'll have whatever Arena makes. So <laughs> Arena's cut off forward." And I think people will... So that will obviously become a format on Arena, so you can play your cards, and people will move that into paper, and as soon as Watsy gives it the green light, I think it would become a real format. I agree. Yep, that is what I think, too. So the card pool will probably be like Shadows Over Innistrad or Kaladesh, because Wizards has not really shown much interest or desire to try to backfill Arena at this point, and they're going to have this format up and running by next fall, it sounds like. So that would be my guess. I would expect it to start around that time period. All right, Scuba Gamer Dad, I feel like I hear you guys hating on Standard a lot. Saying it is bad has been bad for years. I've played Standard since Shadows and have had great performances with fun off-meta decks. Can you explain why you often seem so down on Standard? It's been a rough couple years for Standard. I mean, we've had a lot of bannings. Even when we have not had bannings, like recently we've had Mono Red at like 50% of the meta. So I feel like there's just been uh, some up and down times. For me, my relationship with Standard is complex. Pretty much when a new set comes out or there's rotation, I really love Standard for a couple of months. And then a lot of times I find myself kind of like trending back towards Modern until a set releases and shakes things up. So uh, I don't think it's a Standard is bad. It just gets old to me after a while, especially when Modern is there as another option. Yeah, I would say uh, we're probably overly critical of standard but i think what seth says is pretty correct so as spoiler season comes out everyone gets hyped for standard uh when the new cards release everyone loves standard for the first bit and then the meta gets solved uh we become more jaded we move on to modern and as we talk about modern 
Uh, we tend to talk negatively about standard, warranted or not warranted, because modern is so diverse and you look back to standard. And then uh, standard is stale for a little bit as we wait for the new set to come out and then the cycle repeats itself. But I do think that over time, uh, as the online community has grown, uh, you get more vocal people and it's much easier to reach a larger audience. So in general, everyone just sounds more and more negative. And then we always talk about the good old days when standard was good. Uh, when in reality, we're just looking back and making up a new past. <laughs> people complained back then too. And uh, now it just gets amplified so much with how you know how big everyone is on social media and stuff like that. Uh, yep. Next question. Christian Mo 96 would it be feasible at Grand Prix, Pro Tours, etc. to have qualified deck checkers do like a shuffle and sample check of all decks as they're registered to defer players from trying to use fake cards? I think that would be a fine plan, but I expect that it would be too expensive to actually happen. That's a lot of work. I think Wizards would just let fake cards come through. It's kind of like the TSA approach. Yeah. If you need to solve it, like just smash a hammer on it. Like, do you, how long would it take to check a single deck, right? And how many people are at a Grand Prix? Like, it's a lot. And you're still going to get the feel bads, right? Like, if a player shows up, they're like, okay, I'm ready to sling some legacy. And the judge is like, half your deck is fake. Like, you still have the same problem. So instead of getting a game loss, you just don't play in the tournament because you don't have a deck. Like, I don't know. It still doesn't really solve it. I think the real solution is to make it so that real cards are very obvious and that fake cards, you know, you wouldn't be accidentally putting fake cards into your deck. I think that the solution is Wizards has to acknowledge that there is this counterfeiting issue and they need to start producing content to educate players on how to check their cards and protect themselves. Like the fact that Wizards is not acknowledging it and making statements to help people get educated and protect themselves, I think is messed up. Yep. Uh, Dan Yellow Blue, the question everyone is asking, when do I buy Shocklands? I don't really want to wait till they rotate again, but do you think it would be worth it? Uh, I mean, I think just wait till uh, a few months after the site releases. I expect Guilds of Ravnica are going to be pretty heavily opened and that prices will drop while the set is being opened and sure you might save a little bit if you wait till rotation but i don't think you'll save so much that it's worth waiting another two years to buy your shock land so just just wait till like this winter uh, and pick up what you need that's only for modern players right if you play standard you have to but, go just buy them and play standard, then yeah right? i mean then you probably just need them yeah. right away for standard so if you do, if you don't have an immediate need for them, I would wait until Magic Online Redemption starts. That's that's going to see the the lowest price delta for them in their lifetime and standard. I would assume. What when does the when does the Redemption window typically open after set release? Uh, a month, I a believe, month. after yeah, the release. I think it's thirty or sixty days. All right. Uh, last question, Nazare Smith. Hey guys, have any of you been keeping up with Artifact? That's the new game from Valve. They're do they did their first public gameplay this weekend at PAX, and I wanted to get your thoughts on what you've seen so far. I have heard people talking about it, but I have not even seen the gameplay, other than maybe a still picture or two. So I do want to check it out, but I have not checked it out yet. Yeah, I don't know anything about the game. All I know is it's Valve, and Valve doesn't make bad games. All I know is Richard Garfield was involved, and Richard Garfield created Magic. So I'm very hyped for it. I've heard of it as a MOBA plus TCG, uh, two things I enjoy. So I am very hyped for it, and I am curious to see uh, how it actually turns out. Not only is it Garfield, but Scaff Elias is also on the, on the team, and he was one of the original developers along with Richard. And Alan Comer is on the team, who's a Magic Hall of Fame. You might uh, know as him as the person that had created the, the Xerox deck, or the Turbo Xerox idea. He's the reason why you play all your Ponders and Preordains in your Legacy decks with 18 lands, uh, because of his, his strategy. Uh, the game is awesome. Like, I was at PAX. Got to check it out. I've seen it a little bit. Uh, it is way different than any other card game you've played. Uh, it's really cool. Valve is going to be doing a lot to make it um, 
easily streamable and watchable and interactive from a viewing perspective. Uh, on top of like, they're adding a bunch more people to the beta coming up in October and the official PAX uh, Twitter account, or uh, Artifact Twitter account at, at Play Artifact posted this morning that uh, there's no stream today from PAX, but there will be opportunities for people to see the game be played um, uh, coming up here soon. So you have to keep an eye out for it, but it's the, the game is, is awesome and I can't wait for people to see it. Yeah. If you imagine what Blizzard did to TCGs, Valve is a company of like equal reputation. So I'm very excited to see what their innovation on TCGs are. And it's kind of sad, actually, that we don't talk the same about Wizards of the Coast, but uh, seeing these huge companies with a uh, big track record of producing hit video games, uh, I'm very excited to see what they do uh, with the TCG genre going forward. Oh. Yeah, it's 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 unlike any card game I've ever played before. Well, I'm excited to check it out. I, I definitely plan on checking it out because I've heard a lot of people really hyped for it. So, yeah, it should be exciting. And I all right. think that That's brings all us of our to fish end. mail. Yep. Seth, take it away. That's all our fish mail this week. Uh, so if you want your fish mail read next week, Richard, where did they send it? Uh, to at MTG Goldfish on Twitter with the hashtag MTG Fish Mail. Uh, and I think that brings us to the end for today. So that is all for episode 187 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. Thanks for listening. Chris, Richard, thanks for hanging out. We will be back next week with hopefully some more Guilds of Ravnica news. Another shout out to the sponsor of today's podcast, Spikes Academy. Check them out at spikesacademy.com. 10% off with the cold goldfish. So again, thanks everyone for listening. Have a wonderful week. And this is the crew signing out.